Hello and welcome to a very special edition of Connected, a podcast about people, ideas, marketing, technology and everything that's good. I'm ASD, uh, a digital man here at Mediacom. Sue Uniman, Chief Transformation Officer at Mediacom. And joining us in the room is Rob Norman. How are you doing, Rob? I'm doing great. Good. Thank you. Good. Yes. Rob, you are the former Chief Digital Officer and you've recently stepped back from your role to... Global Worldwide. Global Worldwide Chief Whole Digital Officer. And my, and my official Every known planet. And my official billing when appearing on behalf of of Group M, which I still do from time to time, is senior advisor and former chief digital officer yeah. of Group M worldwide. Yeah. That's senior you know that's advisor. something. Senior advisor. Yeah. Sounds like and you should be writing a book about your time as chief digital officer. That's no, I'd like to write do. a book. If I was going to write a book, I'd like to write one that someone would like to read. Yeah. And unfortunately, there are people in this very room that have set the bar a little too high oh, for my skills. You're very kind. Um, that's in, I, in I, 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 oh, that's um, very kind, but I think untrue. But, you know, I, I, I stepped down, which is an interesting thing. And it, what was exciting about it, the single most exciting thing about stepping down was the fact that in the press releases and the articles, of which there were a couple that came out, they all said that I was still carrying on working with the group in some mm. capacity, which in the United States now is the only inoculation you can have over people thinking it had something to do with sexual harassment. So I was very, very happy. <laughs> very relieved. That that was, yeah, <laughs> true. Um, and um, and but, si- but seriously, because no one asked the question, which was good. I mean, there was a, a question that needed to be answered. But I had said for quite a long time that I always had this ambition with the company to be gone but not forgotten as being a much superior state to being forgotten but not gone. And I didn't want to be one of those people that kind of hang around and people sort of wonder why they're... Well, right. (laughs) And how much are we paying that guy? And so I talked to Kelly, who Kelly Clark is CEO of Group Evans, an old and trusted friend, and said to him, I would like to not do this full time. And he said, well, I don't want you to lose touch with the business. And I said, well, I'm not going to work for a competitor. So we did a deal whereby I am still in touch with the business, but get to pursue either other professional interests or personal ones. Now, because I'm the world's most insecure person, and my assumption was that the phone would not ring and all of my email would say, you know, single room to let in flat in Peckham, non-smoker preferred. I thought that would be my email traffic the day I stopped. It turned out not to be the case and I got a couple of calls and I've been doing some consulting work for people Mm -hmm. which has its own satisfactions and challenges and I'm going to join a couple of boards which I'm not really kind of announcing yet but the... You mention the one that you were already on. Well I'm already on a board at the BBC but that's been going on for, Mm -hmm. for some time. Um, but there's going to be some others and what my rules of engagement with those companies are is that one I'm never going to do join a board which they think means I'll go put pressure on Group M people to do business with them because that's not going to happen because that doesn't really work from a compliance and transparency point of view I'm not going to go and empower other agencies against the interests of WPP or its clients or, or, or obviously Group M but what I want to do is go on boards of companies that either have something particularly interesting to do with creative technology something particularly interesting to do with data and generally businesses that can make advertising more important and more valuable because I genuinely believe it to be a driver of the economy. I am extremely keen on anyone 
who can work on good attribution stories and so forth because mm. I'm fed up with sort of polemic single platform views of mm. attribution and I think it's a huge challenge. So those things are kind of fun and there's a few of them already and the consulting things are interesting. So I did my first one. Um, last Friday, actually, it was yeah. Friday the nineteenth of Jan. In case people aren't listening to this in real time, yeah. um, and it was fabulous. I did a day of preparation. I went and did two meetings at the client, one with a division of the business, and talked to them about their go-to-market strategy of their different lines of business, and then one to a much bigger group, which was a speech and a Q and A. And they said, "That's great. Send us the bill." And I said really okay is that really what we do they said yeah and this is the person you send it to and i wrote these people a, a, a bill and i hope and I, I was a bit upset about one thing and the thing i was upset about is they asked for my bank account details yeah. to pay the money in. Yeah. and i thought there might be a check that i could like <laughs> yeah. at least right. sort of you yeah. take a photocopy of and, and frame but and it somehow it doesn't work so well with a bank transfer so no. that's that's it but why have you stepped down because I think I said this in an interview. We know in why Q- not. <laughs> well, no, I think I said <laughs> it, it might be the most interesting job in the business. I said in an interview in campaign that I thought there was a time for young generals. I think that mm. the business is on a war footing. I think we've got some terrifically talented young people. I also said, actually, in an interview or a piece I wrote for the Economic Times in India a number of years ago that was called Chief Digital Officer, a eulogy for a job title, in which I said there shouldn't be or wouldn't be any in 2018. And as every now and again, even I am good to my word, I suddenly realized as the end of 2017 was upon us, I had to leave in order to prove myself right. Um, Perfect attribution, you see. (laughs) And I think that you need to free your mind a little bit. And I absolutely understand there's some really, really, really hard things that we do in terms of dealing with clients, dealing with budget setting, dealing with pressures on sometimes our business model and our cost model, pressures of how we develop our talent and our staff. And I thought I could actually make a decent contribution to lots of those things without necessarily being a kind of full lead weight on the payroll of the business. And I felt okay about that. Interesting. One thing I was going to talk about is your house, because last time we talked, your house was being built. I was going to say, because part, while I'm not suggesting that all of that isn't absolutely true, you yeah. also have other things in your life that you want to spend more time with. Well, right? I did. Well, One well, of which is the house. So my sort of quick aphorism on the topic of what was my future life going to look like? I said, well, rural and pr- plural yeah. was my yeah. plan. Yeah. And yes, we did I finish. Like it rhymes and everything. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of. And we finished the house and we moved in on the 1st of July. It's exactly what we intended it to be, which was lucky because when you build something of your own design, you only have yourself Mm -hmm. to blame if it's not. It's turned out to be a very um, hospitable house. People come and stay a lot and come and eat in it a lot and hang out. And you find that people's blood pressure seems to drop. Yeah. Um, on arrival if Mm. you like and it has Mm. a sort of calming Mm. sense to it and even though it's been very very cold so I'll do a quick translation so we came out of the movies we went to see Molly's Game not recommended we went to see (laughs) Molly's Game um, but we came out at 11 o'clock at at night and normally we're on early bird specials these days you know we go to 4.30 movies because we can and unless there's a really good promotional item on a menu before 6 o'clock and then we go to a slightly later movie but we came out of molly's game we got in our trusty subaru outback and it was minus eight fahrenheit uh on the temperatures roughly minus 20 c 
but there was snow on the ground we're surrounded by kind of land and a river the river was snow frozen the snow was pristine and white the sun was out and we have big windows and the house was like illuminated in the most extraordinary way and it is much of the time the one advantage we have meteorologically there versus living here is we don't do gray very much mm-hmm. you know we get big weather but most Looking of the time the yeah. we have blue skies and yeah. it's very uplifting and i have a mm. yeah a, i have a study which i can't like work in and Ginny, who is my long-term executive assistant who still works me a little bit she now works tim cesaria head of talent as well bought me a sensational christmas gift which is actually highly apropos as bose just became the latest wpp wide horizontality client but prior to this announcement and what and her purchase may have catalyzed the decision to be fair she bought me a thing called a bose soundware and it is a horseshoe shaped collar that sits gently on your collarbone and has a very narrow sound distribution so you get perfect fidelity but in a very close range so the person on the other side of the room can't hear what's being said or what the music is but you can hear it completely and it's completely unrestricted and doesn't have that kind of invasive thing Mm. that headphones have and it's way better than most bluetooth devices it's fantastic so i'm my bose soundware in my study and there is a certain almost elemental smugness to being on a serious <coughs> business conference call taking notes gently mm. whilst you've got your Bose soundware on realizing there's a passage of the call when you're not going to take too many notes in which you keep your Bose soundware on and you go for a walk with the dog and mm. carry on mm. on the call and it's so just you've, so cool you've, you've been on the road a long time you've been yes. on the road a long time yes. you've been traveling on so this you're going to be a bit more settled well United time. Airlines now have put black edges on the wings of their plane as yep. a kind of sort of Victorian style sort of funereal Morning. tribute to yeah. and mm. I, I just about renewed my global services card for yeah. this year and each time I go to an airport there's a little hush and you know the tips of the planes dip slightly as they all realize it's the beginning of the end and yeah. the smell of avjet is disappearing slowly from my nose and i think you know you've got lord knows if if you haven't earned a bit of time to be in one place who has you've been well, out driving better work from our clients and our agencies worldwide for years now yeah well certainly giving the impression of doing that yeah. yes or certainly letting the people that weren't in the room know that that's what i was doing um i some people think an SSP is a supply-side platform. I know it to be a shameless self-promoter, <laughs> yeah. and I, I was one. How long, um, how, no, but how long did you do the global role for? Oh, um, so I think I did more than 200,000 miles a year for more than 20 years, <laughs> well. which is officially a lot. But I don't want anyone well, to think... Well, the dog misses you, right? Well, and he's 12 and a half now, and he's... And as they say, the only thing that's wrong with dogs is that they don't live forever. And so we're having good good dad time um, now, which is great. And we'll pick him up on Friday when he's with us for 10 days because... As some of people may know who know me, know his joint custody with yes, Kate, yes. my ex-wife, yeah. which is a, an excellent arrangement. She's an excellent mum, I might tell you. Um, so apart from spending more time with the dog and the Bose sound system, what's mm. the rest of your plans for this year? Oh, so the consulting things are kind of really interesting. They've turned out to be more interesting than I thought they were going to. I've discovered it's liberating that when people 
pay you an amount of money directly for your advice because they've reached a conclusion in advance that you will have an opinion that is more likely to be transformative than not or a different angle on a problem that they've got. The relationship is different from one that is kind of reduced like some kind of intense sauce that you'd eat with game into a kind of situation you end up in the agency life where speaking your own mind tends not to be the most important thing but somehow finding some basis of common ground with the client tends to be the goal and I think you can push the edges of your discourse as a consultant and take people into territory that remains plausible but maybe scarier for them and I think because there's less people in the room they are more happy to kind of flow through those ideas and see if they materialize so one client I'm working with has a narrative which on the surface is really great the problem with its narrative is if you try and deconstruct their numbers which the headline numbers of which are very very big and you say let's get this down to country to category to the type of people Mm -hmm. to the behavior of those people and then let's rebundle those behaviors and see what we're dealing with in terms of samples and accuracy Mm -hmm. and so forth it turns out that their marketing support function has to change quite a lot to answer the right questions Mm -hmm. that clients and agencies want answered And they didn't really know that. And that's actually changing quite a lot inside their business, I think. And that started, that's only a a few weeks old, but it was quite easy to get to that first place. And I've concluded that there's two ways of being a consultant. One is you can say, the goal of being a consultant is to think of as many questions as you can to turn that into as many meetings as you can Mm -hmm. and as many follow-up responses from as many people as you can and somehow extrapolate what your price should be. The other way of doing it is to probe on what you think are some really sensitive and some really fertile areas and then find really, really narrow work streams to prove or disprove a point. Because it may be that you've hit on a big macro that works for all the business, but it may also be that you've hit on an unlock for a particular segment, might might be high value, but might be completely useless Mm. for anything else. But it's nice to have the freedom to do those kinds of things and what you hope is going to happen is a there's going to be enough of what you did with them that empowered them to do something new different better more valuable you kind of hope quite a lot that what they ask you to do is to help them sherpa the implementation of that and Mm -hmm. sort of keep them honest and be an external conscience and it would be really nice if the way you made money doing this was like a chunk of money for being bold Mm -hmm. and then a persistent sort of annuity if you like for being someone who they now trusted that might then pop up at some future piece of time into another thing Mm. that's bold and interesting Mm. it's way too early to tell whether my sort of fantasy consulting thing works or not i don't know interesting we should talk we should talk about that more a bit more Mm. so what i mean in with your digital hat on what's been the most interesting thing that's happened just getting his hat yeah just getting the hat uh what's been the most interesting thing that's happened over the last year last 18 months or What's been interesting you recently? Well, I, I don't think there's such a thing as a digital hat anymore because 
you know, people don't distinguish between their digital existence and their analog existence very much people anymore. Don't, but marketers do. Well, marketers shouldn't, mm. I believe. It's that, you know, you need to have a holistic view of what the interaction between your brand and somebody's life is. Um, I remember deeply going back to 1999, one of the agencies that became a Group M agency in its operating system defined its purpose as weaving brands into the fabric of people's lives. I don't know if it was an original statement at the time, but I think it was relevant then. I think it's relevant now. I think that people have to, when they use words loosely, I think they use them loosely, like authenticity, they jump too quickly to authenticity and communication and sometimes skip by authenticity and product and what the product does for people and what the value exchange is in that level. Because my perpetual experience of marketing is that the better something is at satisfying an emotional or functional or rational need, the easier it is to create a communication strategy to execute around it. And so if I had a macro observation about the digital world, it makes selling crap harder and selling good stuff easier mm. and a richer mm. experience. And so the balance of the thinking and of the effort, and I think that when agencies talk about going upstream or whatever other expression we like, the things we should look at are peers in the category or things that are analogous in the category that perhaps we think deliver on that real mm. authenticity, same worse or better than the one we're dealing with. and ask which bit we need to fix in order to um, achieve the goal. So we all know that what things digital have done has shone light in dark places. It's also created many other it's dark crazy. places, which is a whole nother yeah. um, conversation. And we also know that it's enabled you to do everything everywhere you can sell everywhere you can communicate mm -hmm. everywhere you can deliver customer service everywhere you can be recommended everywhere you can be hated mm -hmm. everywhere and the idea of being um not just omni-channel as a brand owner as or as a retailer in the terms of where you sell things i think you have to be massively distributed in everything you do and i think that the purchase funnel which is a you know apparently you're not allowed to say purchase funnel hmm. um anymore because it collapsed or doesn't exist What's anymore it? i think that what it's all about is the access platform for your brand and being prepared to be accessible to your consumer which is really really different than saying i want to be to have a ubiquitous surround sound comms plan with those people what you have to do is you have to lay the trail for them to gain access to you and then have a very very high degree of preparedness about what you're going to do when they mm -hmm. take advantage of that access at the speed that they choose to yeah i think often the speed that they choose to but i think people I think there's a tolerance that exists between the speed of response and the quality of the response. So if you, for example, theoretically, I don't know if you could imagine this, you were sitting on an airplane and it had, you were at a gate or were still off a gate and it had been there for two hours and nine minutes and you tweet the airline and the airline tweets you right back saying, we're doing everything we can to get you on, the way, on your way may seem like they've responded quickly to you. If instead they responded, 
there's an operational difficulty with this flight we're determining exactly what it was to gain the resolution but what we're going to do if you dm us is that we're going to actually give you a full situation report when we've got the result and a week later you get the story that actually there'd been an accident on the cromwell road and that the co-pilot as a result of that who had actually left and was on time could not be on time and that's what happened and these are certain things that are unavoidable because mm. shit happens then that actually wasn't an instant response but it was a detailed valuable response that well, made it in look in both your stories important. the initial response was instant and i think that's the point isn't it yeah it's but what it. i but i think what happens is that there's an awful lot of instant responses it's that are fobby offy mm -hmm. yeah, yeah that you feel yeah. like yeah. you feel like you've been botted also, it, does, it depends a lot what's going on in your competitive set because there are some businesses that are managing to talk back to people so well that it sets the bar high. Well, I think there are, and I think there's and others a, that aren't. And I think there are a lot of businesses in the pursuit of that that have determined that the way to do it is through automation, mm. and my sense is that there's relatively few things that are born as automated processes but there are many things that you can have very perfect manual processes for that you can then set out to automate mm -hmm. and i think that when people talk about ai and they talk about man machine interfaces and all of the other things that go with that what they're trying to do is to create an emulation of the best that they can do rather than do it instead of something they should be doing well. And I think that's a cautionary tale to lots of people. And I think the science of working out what the decision tree of navigating responses in automated environments and also to understand the tonality. So did they know at the time I tweeted them that I did fly 200 thousand yeah. miles a year you with them did they know various other things and better still did they know what alternatives i had because mm. the optics around a flight from jfk to london are super different mm. than the optics around a flight from washington dc to houston and the reason is that the number of choices that mm. i have and the frequency with which i get to make the decision on the new york london leg when i can go united i can go ba i can go virgin i can go american or delta are really really different than if i'm flying from a single airline hub to his own hub city at which point kind of however crass it may be they don't really need to give a shit because a i'm unlikely to do it again and b i didn't have a choice in the first place so 2018 yes what should we be let's get a bit of free consultancy yes rob what should we be focusing on well, I think that there is an appetite. Well, I say free. He has got a cup of tea and a MediaCom mug, so hmm. there's no such thing as free advice. No, that's true. Although, putting an exact price point on this particular cup of tea <laughs> may not be the most complimentary customer review in, in the history of man. The problem is this is a, a pottery cup, not a china cup, I think, and it loses temperature too quickly. <laughs> yeah, and that's... a. Uh, you know, it's like the the greatest uninvented invention is the bath in which the water stays at a constant temperature <laughs> yeah. after you've run it. Um, oh, it can be done. So it can be done in a coffee mug, but no one's done it at bath scale. So our whole one experience. of the focuses is uh, the baths will be too good. better mugs. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, there's that. But I I I think there's a thing that I've sort of fought against in my career that I'm now beginning not to fight against. I believe that. 
advertising in customer organizations, our client organizations, has taken on a different kind of importance to the one with which we were used to with unexpected consequences. The different kind of importance is that relationships that they have, particularly with the big platforms, the Facebooks, the Googles and, and the Amazons, is that those companies often are occupy a different place in their value chain mm. than maybe they did before. So what they are is that they're gatekeepers of data, they're gatekeepers mm. of relationships, they're gatekeepers of customers. What they also are is as important in the customer service mm. sphere as they are in the logistics sphere, as they are as a channel to market as mm. well as a marketing yeah. channel. And that's super different from how we dealt with, with media before. Now, as a consequence, the attention they attract inside the enterprise is much greater mm. than the average medium, if you like. And they also touch different parts of the organization. So, of course, they touch the CMO and the mm. CFO and the CEO. We all kind of know that. But they touch the CIO. They touch the people who are the merchants in the business, the people who are the logistics mm. and supply chain people in the business. And as a result, they need to have those relationships much closer to their organization than they ever needed a relationship with a magazine company or a newspaper company or a television company. Mm -hmm. Which means in turn that this issue about in-house versus out-of-house servicing is something that we have to maybe take a different look at from the way the agency business has done before. So what we've done before is historically said we have a cross-channel, cross-geography, cross-category, cross-vendor view of the world, and therefore we're really, really placed to operationalize and implement these things. Trust us. And I think we can do that. I think their problem is is they think we've been making the wrong argument and we fell into a cloud thinking that the argument was about transparency and things like that and I don't think it actually was. I think the issue was that if you believe something is kind of an existential component of your destiny as a business, how you cannot have degrees of control over it different. So I think one of the things we'll have to do from a kind of both an optics point of view and a practical point of view is think about how we provision our clients mm -hmm. and provision them with our knowledge of the variety of, so here are 10 DMPs to choose from, for example, and help them understand, assuming they don't already, how best to operationalize them in their business and work out from our point of view how we provision those things with the best data that comes from the sources that we have, how they interface with the other media that don't have the same deep yeah. ties that we do with them and are more kind of a less integrated into the whole value chain of the company and change that and sort of manage those relationships slightly from the outside and say, okay, you're now set up to do this. Mm -hmm. Now, the places we can help you is make that yeah. better. Yeah. And the places we can help you is say, actually, we've now seen a different mechanism for achieving this bit mm -hmm. of your mm -hmm. tech stack. Mm -hmm. It may be a way, and this is how you should think, knowing what we know about mm -hmm. the rest of your tech stack, how we should test that and see if there are substitutional components. And when you compare us with this broadly scoped group of institutions called management consultants. Mm -hmm. My suspicion is that's how management consultants mm -hmm. present themselves in these situations. So they're collaborators to the empowerment of the organization rather than an external supplier. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you're also prepared to ebb and flow in a relationship in the way that I described what I wanted to do in consulting in a different way, maybe we should and maybe what we have to do is realize that we've got 
variable inputs from our business in then which have peaks and troughs in terms of our value over time so i think that kind of fluidity in the way that we approach those problems could be a very big thing for us in the next year or two and what shouldn't we be focusing on if that's what we should be focusing on what shouldn't we be focusing on should we stop stop it yeah stop what? stop it well <laughs> i think that we have to understand the value of what we do in a very holistic sense of what businesses do i think that mm. we have to well, evaluate channels beyond the ones we ourselves are operational mm -hmm. in so we have to think more clearly about trade support i think we have to more, think more clearly about customer service mm -hmm. as part of marketing and not get into the trap of if you walk into a PR agency with a business problem, guess what? You get a PR solution. Mm -hmm. If you walk into a media agency with a business problem, you get a media solution as well. And so I think that WPP, and I've said this many times before, is uniquely positioned really in four or five categories of insight, which I think are incredibly valuable to customers. So every customer of ours wants to know what their consumers are doing now and what they're likely to do. Every of them want to know about what the activity in their marketing channels is and their mm -hmm. channels to market is. Every one of them wants to know what their competitors are doing mm -hmm. and everyone wants to know what the enablements that are available to them in the tech world are. And I think that with the raft of enterprises that we've got, and I think it's good that we're doing some consolidation in the design and branding area. I think it's good that we're doing some consolidation in Kantar in the consulting area. I think some of the moves we're making in Group M support that as well. Because it seems to me that if we can create a multifaceted kernel of insight, some t which will demonstrate to our customers that we understand not just their business from an advertising point of view, but we understand their business, and then look at places where we are expert to build service on top of those, recognizing we can't build service on all of those would be a good thing. Mm. It's a time for um, accuracy. It's a time for completeness. It's a time for modesty. There is no place to be arrogant. We can leave that to other people who would seem to have the economic proof for now that they have bragging rights in marketing and we all know who we're talking about and the one thing we should do is think about where we're really strong think about where we're not so strong determine if the things we're really strong at are happily coincidentally things that are persistently relevant and if they're not concentrate some of our efforts on the things that we think will be persistently relevant and allocate resources to doing that and i think it's a you know it's a very important time for our business and it's the next epoch of our world and sure there's lots of other things about you know what's our position on augmented reality or virtual reality what's our position on intelligent assistance and and so forth i, I get all of that but i don't think it's the center of what we do mm. the reason why those things are important is that yes you've got to be multi-channel in everything you do but you have to be multi-surface in everything you do and when i used the expression before about maximizing the accessibility of your brand or proposition it's as plain as the nose on your face that if you're not accessible through hey google or you're not accessible through katana or through alexa if you're not 
accessible through some degree of augmentation on your Samsung Galaxy 8 or whatever, then you're not as accessible as you could be. And there will be people that devise immersive experiences and you could think easily of automotive and in homewares and design using Magic Leap and Daydream and so forth that will create a new surface and a new kind of access <coughs> to those people. Who are, you, um, who are you interested in in terms of digital companies? Um, I mean, always the big ones, but outside of that. Let, Gosh. You know, let's not say Google and Facebook. <laughs> well, so, so I think it's all, about, it's all about capability and integration rather than it is about companies. And I think that we'll see a reduction in the number of, of, of sort of point solutions. You know, I don't really want to get into the business and I don't want Group M's people to get into the business of having to do a side-by-side -side review of 20 uh, digital creative optimization businesses i don't think it's kind of that important from that point of view uh i think that what i want us to be involved in is to really understand what the needs of our clients are and how to assemble with them the stack or whatever you want to call it that serves it but i do think that magic leap is a super interesting business i mean their headset is sort of slightly kind of metropolis looking 1930s black and white sort of meeting yeah. yeah well thank you I, I i was going to i actually wanted to say rather fritz lang looking and i was working through fritz langish references hoping someone else would come up with the name um of course, one of the wonderful things about my retirement is that suddenly my short-term memories become an advantage in that I wake up every morning unencumbered by anything I heard less more than sort of about a day or two ago. Um, so I do think that's going to be important. I think that AR, now the SDKs are available for Apple and for um, Samsung, and now that they're deployed at scale in Facebook's environment and in Snap's environment and increasingly in, in Google's environment, I think thinking about the interrelationship between what data exists in the world with which to augment the experience mm -hmm. of something so you can be a complete doofus and say well that's easy so you go into a supermarket aisle for example and what your AR device will tell you assuming the goods have the data attached to them is that you could actually optimize the calorific or fat intake of a basket in real time as you're adding things to it. I personally think, given that the health crisis that exists in the developed world, and it's not just kind of people not being well, but when you think about the potential for an aging population and an aging population in, that can, to live a long time in poor health is the economically most catastrophic circumstance that you can create. Mm -hmm. And there's this old gag about, you know, the object of the exercise is only to be ill in the last six months of your life, which is, you know, which is good. And that's, yeah. you've done well. But the, the counterweight of that is that I'm told that half of people's lifetime healthcare costs are in the last year of their life. And getting people to live better and to reduce chronic conditions and so forth and eliminate type 2 diabetes. And I think about the potential for AR to do that and for people to make wiser, smarter decisions, I think it's great. But what it comes back to is that God knows if you've got that level of transparency mm -hmm. as a manufacturer of whatever it is, mm -hmm. your responsibility to make a great product that is validated as a great product by the consumer experience through data, it's kind of really important. It doesn't really matter what your jingle is at that moment. 
Oh, I start these podcasts by saying I'm a, I'm a digital man, but per your point earlier, I probably shouldn't say digital. And no. I mean, sitting looking at you, so I probably shouldn't say man, maybe. I don't know, glass wall builder. So me, <laughs> as, a, as a glass wall builder, what should I be? She likes the sound of breaking glass, <laughs> yeah. I can tell you. Uh, what, what should I be doing to be better in my job this year? Or so, anyone in this building? So I think that we exist at the pleasure of our customers. You know, there is no point to our business unless we have customers that respect what we do. Customers are going to respect what we do if we understand what they do, if we understand what their incremental sources of demand are, if we understand what their potential for pricing leverage is, if we understand what their competitive threat is, if we understand how consumer zeitgeist might change short term and long term to do that. And I think that as someone who has grown up as a digital native and chosen to be a professional practitioner using digital tools, that your ability to have a view, to be a canary in the coal mine of all of those kinds of things is great because you see things at the speed at which they now move rather than at the speed of a tracking study, which is kind of what mm. Sue and I saw when we started in the business or were still that awful period when you saw it in the tracking study, but as the goods left the factory and ended up in a distribution warehouse, you didn't know what had happened ever until you got an order for the next lot mm. or you didn't and so what i would hope is that all of the people that are come from a kind of digital heritage do that they use those skills to do what we always should have done but with greater speed but that they don't pursue speed for the sake of speed and in the same way we talked about customer service mm. before then there may be a holding answer that says this is the steps we're taking to look for a resolution to this problem but concentrate really really hard on the resolution rather than the bright shiny object that says yeah we hear you because everyone knows that when someone says yeah we hear you the last thing they did was hear you now andrew writes the words for these questions although normally um i obviously ignore what he's written but i'm going to read this one out as he's written it, and then I'm going to rewrite it. So, Andrew's written, do you have any last words for our listeners? Now, that seems to me to be very final, and uh, to assume that you aren't welcome to come back, Uh, as you indeed are. But do you have any last words for our listeners today? So, when asked a number of years ago what the ideal career was at, at WPP, I always used to give the same answer. And I said, well, Jeremy Bullmore, is your role model and people would ask why to explain what Jeremy did and there may be some people that don't know that Jeremy was the creative director of J. Walter Thompson and for many years the chairman of J. Walter Thompson and a very close advisor to Martin and a great essayist and book writer and columnist and created but, Mr. Kipling and and what he he did indeed and but what Jeremy did was that Jeremy was an enfant terrible and he joined the business he challenged the convention and wanted to do it better he did it so well and apparently so effortlessly yet i know there was a great deal of effort involved that he went from being an enfant terrible to an eminence grise so the perfect career is to be an enfant terrible which means you work harder than it looks like you're working and you work smarter than anyone can imagine you become an eminence grise which is where your view is valued and you are seen to value the view of others and then you do the thing that jeremy did that i didn't do you become a national treasure and jeremy is indeed a national treasure so what i hope in terms of last words (laughs) for you is that 
selectively, perhaps at a postcode level, maybe not a national level in terms of treasures, there will be questions that from my past, current, and hopefully fewer experience that I can answer. And I would be devastated if people at Mediacom didn't feel like I was someone who could ask for because, as I've said before, the only two things that anyone should fear in my position are loneliness and irrelevance. And I hope not to fall into either of those traps. Uh, you will not fall into no. either of those traps. And, and, um, and you are the uh, Mediacom Connected Podcast national treasure. Yes, Is he definitely, not? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, the only person that's been on three times. Josh. Apart from Josh. Apart from Josh. <laughs> yeah, but he has the advantage, of course, of being the CEO of the, the UK the business. He can, yeah, I was going to say, come on as long as he wants. Yeah, it's, like, it's, like, it's like, what time's the game start? What time can you be here? You know, it's like, as they so, say. Apart but, from the man that, that signs our paychecks. But yeah. it's, um, you know, one of the yeah. things that you reflect on, even though I'm, I haven't, you know, Elvis has not entirely left no. the building. No. Um, which incidentally was an expression coined by a man who ran a country show called the Louisiana Hayride in the 1950s when Louisiana was in uh, significant competition with uh, Tennessee to be the home of country music. And he decided that the Grand Ole Opry was kind of mainstream and they had people on for like a half hour at a time. But he thought people were less patient for younger acts. And so he'd get acts to come on and do a five minute set and come back later and do another five minutes there and Elvis performed at the Louisiana Hayride and one night after Elvis had done a set by which time he was already famous people were kind of crying for Elvis to come back again and he coined the phrase Elvis has left the building in this case I have not entirely um, left the building and it's but I'm somewhat reflective about the company now even at this stage and I think we should be for all our vicissitudes, we should be terribly proud of what we've done. I think we should be terribly proud of what we have. And the only thing that we should be absolutely committed at is to banish arrogance from our business and consider everything we do in the sense of its real value to our customers and the people that work for our company. What well, I know to end it on, Rob. Thank you very much for Thank coming in Rob. for the third time. It's great to see you. My pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>